And Father, right now, I just want you to speak through me. Uh, that it not be my words, but your words. And so, Father, I thank you for all that you do. All that you do through this church, through the leaders here. Uh, and what you will do as we share in your word this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Am I echoey? I feel echoey. No? All right. Uh, being a leader is tough. Now, every one of you in some capacity is a leader, whether it's a parent or in your position at work uh, or you're a leader in some ministry within the church. But being a leader is tough. And when you become a leader, there are expectations placed on you. Expectations about your abilities, your character, your organizational skills, your ability to direct others. You have to make decisions on how to lead and care for those under your authority, whether it's making a direct connection with them or directly connecting someone with them. Leaders bear the burden for those around them. If something happens, the overall blame goes to those in charge. And the higher you climb in leadership, the more the expectations increase, the more the burden increases, and the more the responsibility increases. And people that are in leadership over you are people that you personally hold accountable, that you expect things from, how they live, how they act, how they do things, how they run their businesses. You expect things from them. As a youth pastor, parents are watching their students. They're watching what they learn and what they hold, what they're learning and what they're seeing and what they're being taught, and they hold me accountable to that. As a youth pastor, we join in parents in helping their youth grow spiritually in a maturity in their faith and their expectations from the parents on what they want me to do and be doing. I think the role of a pastor, in whatever capacity that pastor is, bears a great weight, just like any leader in any organization or anything. The burden is great, and so the person should be suited for the role. See, the challenge for leadership is what are the qualifications for that position? There's assumed qualifications for any position out there. I think since we are currently in a presidential election year, uh, it makes for a really great example. There are specific qualifications to be the president of the United States. Now, I'm going to read for you every single qualification needed to be the president. Ready? Get ready. This is a long list. It's an important role. As directed by the Constitution, a presidential candidate must be a natural-born citizen of the United States, a resident for 14 years, and 35 years of age or older. And done. That's it. Those are the only qualifications to be the president of the United States. So, the majority of in this room could run for president. Uh, it's surprising that such a powerful position that sits over the head of over 300 million people doesn't have more strict qualifications. However, the qualifications that the voters set personally are different. Every candidate that the voter looks at, they think differently of who is the person and what are they qualified to do. See, the problem is, though, it may simply come down to the person they see most on the TV, 
the person that they think is funny, or the person who's just in their political party. See, as Americans, that's our right. We have the right to choose the person we desire to lead us. See, we have a choice. And the reality is there are people that are qualified to lead and there are people that are not. And that's an okay thing. But the reality is we have the choice to decide who leads our life. So as we look at our passage today in Scripture, I want you to think about what are the qualifications for leadership? Because we're going to look at the qualifications to lead God's people. The expectation is they are the leaders that stand in the forefront between you and God and help and teach. And so if you join me in reading, uh, we're just going to look at the first four passages in Hebrews 5 this morning to start with. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relationship to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sin, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Now, I love the opportunity to study God's Word and to preach because it means that I'm diving into way more books, uh, reading all kinds of articles, studying commentaries, really digging into Scripture. And at some point during this week, I almost called Joe and said, hey, I really need to split this sermon into two parts. Uh, The first four verses and then uh, the following five through ten. And the reason is, is there's so much here that we need to understand about what the high priest is and what he was supposed to do so we can understand what Jesus brings to the table for us. See, this first section in this passage tells us of the qualifications for an earthly high priest. Each high priest was established as the intermediary between God and people and is chosen from among them to act on their behalf. See, in these four verses, we find the basic qualifications. And those are solidarity with the people, sympathy, and selection. Verse 1 begins with the qualification of solidarity. See, God chose the high priest from among men, meaning he was one of them already, unified with their experiences, their feelings, and goals. See, God didn't send out an angel to lead the people. He didn't bring in a foreigner to, because they wouldn't know who that person was. It would make them impossible to build a connection with, to have experiences with him. The high priest was to act on behalf of man before God so that he had to be part of the group of men he was presenting to God. The high priest had to dwell amidst the people. The solidarity with the people, required the high priest to be an active participant in the lives of the people. His role wasn't to come out one day and perform a ritual, but to be among the people. See, the same is required of pastors today. And as I was studying, I read this story of a pastor, and I don't remember his name, but one of the things he said, he said, if I could preach, if that's, if that's what God has taught me to do, is come to bring the word, this is what I would like to do. I would like to have a tunnel for my house to the stage, right before the pulpit. So every Sunday morning, I can walk through the tunnel, go up to the pulpit, 
preach my sermon, and then go back into the tunnel and back to my home. And the reason was, he thought, if I could just study God's word, I could present it in such a better way than if I have people constantly coming to me and dealing with all of these things of life. And that's not what God wanted of the high priest. They were meant to be engaged with the people. It's about being present in their lives and about those that they are serving See, this is one of the reasons that Jenny and I do what we do with Josiah. Josiah gets to come to our youth events. He gets to be part of Wednesday night youth ministry. Anything past his bedtime, he's got to go home. But he gets the opportunity to be part of everything we do in youth ministry. See, we want our lives to be engaged with the students. Here's the reality. Not every student that walks through these doors on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night, have the greatest home life. And while our lives, mine and Jenny's, are messy at times, our kid is always crazy, he's exhausting sometimes, and we, but we have the opportunity to show students a family that is striving in the middle of messes to follow God. And that was a qualification for the high priest. We want to live our lives among the students to allow them to see part of who we are we don't, I don't want to be a ruler sitting over them and telling them how to run their lives and all the rules that God puts out. I want to be in the middle of the mix of the mess of life with them. And that was, the, that was one of the requalifications for being the high priest. See, seeing a family engaged in a relationship with God, even though they're in the midst of challenges in their own life, allows students to see that someday in life, no matter what their home life was here and now, that they can honor God with their lives. The high priest was to have solidarity with his people. The second qualification comes from the end of verse 1, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin, and for verse 2, so he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. The high priest has to have the ability to deal with those that are sinning and struggling uh, and dealing with things in their life. And the reason being is if every time someone came into the office of a pastor and they repeatedly had the same problem, I don't think it's a wise decision as a pastor to just say, just figure out your life and get over it. Maybe that might be the best answer for some. Uh, But the reality is that the high priest was supposed to be sympathetic to the issues that were going on. He had to have sympathy for those that were struggling to follow God. He had to understand what they were going through and what they dealt with and how they handled life. And the reason that the high priest could do this so well is he was offering sacrifices on their behalf. And in doing so, he would reunite these people with God. The reason he was so sympathetic to their needs, or should have been, is because he's capable of understanding the weakness that's inside of him. See, high priests weren't perfect people. They were faltered. They were fallen. And before a high priest could begin to appeal to God on behalf of the people of Israel, he must first appeal to God on behalf of himself. See, in Leviticus, we see this picture of how the high priest cleanses his sin. On the Day of Atonement, he would enter into the Holy of Holies. And I'm just abbreviating here. You can read some more of this in small groups. But, and he would have to go in, and I want you to picture this. 
because he would do this in his Sunday best. It would be like you guys putting on a suit and tie and then going to the butcher. And your, re- your responsibility in that moment is to cut up this animal. And the reality is he would put on these beautiful clothing and he would go out and sacrifice the animal and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and then he would sprinkle it seven times in front of it and the whole point of this was to cleanse himself before he could even cleanse the people of Israel. Before the high priest could deal with the people of Israel, he had to understand his own sin in the midst of it. Every time that he went with someone and met with someone that had to share their sins. You know, when someone showed up time and time again with, here's my sin offering because I've messed up doing the same thing, he could understand the pain and the problems with sin and deal with that with a sympathetic heart. Because every time he went on behalf of the people of Israel, he had to go before God and cleanse himself. He was reminded of his own sin, and when he was faced with dealing with struggling people, He'd be able to react out of sympathy and understanding. Knowing that he had his own sinful battles to atone for. See, one of the reasons that I felt called into youth ministry was because that was the time in my life when I accepted Christ and began to follow him. Uh, When I was 15 in high school is when I came to a point in understanding in my life that I knew God and I knew Jesus. And why wasn't I doing this already? But I can remember the struggles that I faced as I found Christ and I began to live out a relationship with him. I remember what I had to face, the temptations that constantly tried to pull me away, and at times succeeded. I remember the struggle of trying to fit in at your school when you wanted to talk about Jesus with people. When you wanted to say, hey, this is what I was reading in the Bible, Or, hey, this is what I learned at Wednesday night on youth group. Or, hey, this is what the pastor preached on Sunday morning. I can remember bringing my Bible to study hall because I'd always get my homework done. And so I always had time in study hall to do nothing. And I thought, what better to do than read my Bible? And I remember the struggle with that when you have teachers questioning why your Bible is there. I was allowed to do it. It wasn't that they said I couldn't. But there were constant questions of why you would do that. And there's the struggle to fit in and to understand. And the reality is because I've understood that, that's when I began to grow in my faith and have a relationship with God. That is one of the reasons that God had called me into youth ministry. You know, I have to deal with my own temptation and the own things that come up in my life. And I could sympathize with the students and what they're doing and what they're going with. You know, I know that it's sometimes hard, especially as a parent, uh, when, you're, when your kid comes up to you and he's constantly repeating the same thing over and over again. And that you want to have no sympathy. There are times when Josiah falls down and you know he's not hurt, but he like slowly looks up at you and when he doesn't see any sympathy in your eyes, he begins to fake cry. Now, my reaction as a father should be caring, but most of the time I just laugh at it. And the reason being is because he quickly gets over the response. But that's not always the best response. When a student comes to me and they have a problem with dealing with life, whether it's it's school or with their family, I try to help them understand what's going on. I allow them to talk and explain their situation. I allow them to be connected with their story. But I could sympathize with them. 
I can relate to what they're going through. Well, it's very, the culture is different from when I was in high school and maybe quite different from when you were as well. The reality is that a lot of the struggles they go through are similar to what you have to deal with. And so the high priest was not supposed to just say, this is what God's word said, this is what you should do, but understand the situation and be able to share God truly with the people. The third and final qualification is selection. See, the honor of being a high priest was not to be taken. It was a role given by God. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Being a high priest wasn't a job, but it was a divine appointment. I would assume that Joe would say the same thing as I would, but the reality is that people often ask what I do for a job. And my response typically is I don't have a job, I have a calling. God has called me into the midst of the ministry here at Chili Bible, and he has asked me to do what I'm called to do. And the reality is we all have callings to serve in different ministries and different things, They aren't jobs, they're not just responsibilities, but they are roles that were given by God. And the reality is, to be high priest, God had to give you that appointment. And the reality was that that was a struggle with the people of Israel. There are several instances throughout the Old Testament where someone had a problem with how the priesthood worked and wanted to deal with it in their own ways. Korah in number 16 and his 250 followers decided that they wanted their own way. And so their punishment was God swallowed them up by the earth. Uzziah wrongly used priestly censors and was struck with leprosy until the day he died in 2 Chronicles. There were constantly people going to the priesthood and trying to assert their own will. And the reality was that it's God's will, God's chosen leader, And it doesn't matter what the people say or what they think. It's about God because God is in control of the situation and he has the right person in mind. The calling of the office of high priest was an honor. It allowed a human to take on a divine role and to serve on behalf of God's people. So the high priest had to have solidarity with the people. He had to be from among them from their midst. He had to have sympathy for their plight, for what they're dealing with and their issues. And most importantly, he had to have the calling from God. This is your role to serve on behalf of God and the people. And here's the awesome part about this. There's no longer a need for an earthly high priest. We no longer have the need for an imperfect person offering imperfect sacrifices on our behalf. See, the high priest, day after day and year after year, would constantly have to go before God and offer sacrifices for the people of Israel. And that's done. And the reason that's done is because God called in the ultimate high priest, Jesus. So let's look at the qualifications for an eternal high priest. If you'd read with me 5 through 10. 
So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who were able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Even with the high qualifications of the high priest... Christ fulfills those in a greater way than any person ever possibly could or could even imagine. And the reality is the writer of Hebrews here flips the qualifications for the high priest. See, the earthly high priest had to have solidarity and sympathy and selection. And and now we have a switched role. First comes the selection of the high priest. Christ was chosen by God. God's will was that Christ come and be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. The selection of a high priest. He was chosen from two offices. The ultimate royal office and the ultimate priestly office. See the writers in Hebrews 5 and 6, he quotes Psalm 2-7 and Psalm 1-10. Psalm 2 tells of the prophetic announcement of Jesus being begotten of God and being both Lord and and Christ. And Psalm 110 talks of being in the line and order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was from, he's in Genesis, you can find him there. Melchizedek was both king of Salem and high priest. And Melchizedek was a priest without a line. And here's the important thing, and in a few weeks, Pastor Joe will talk about him again in chapter 7 in Hebrews. But Melchizedek did not have a line. And the reason that, that God calls upon this order of Melchizedek is to understand that Christ, high priest, has no ending and has no beginning. He is in control eternally as our perfect high priest. See, Jesus serves not only to connect God, but he also serves as a ruler over us. Both roles of being high priest and going to God on our behalf. No longer do we need an earthly high priest to offer sacrifices. Jesus came and did it once and for all for everyone. See, we see Jesus fulfilling the role of high priest with the same qualities that all the priests had before him or were supposed to have. He lived in solidarity with man, coming as a servant. And I want to read my favorite passage of Scripture uh, with you. Because I think this shows such a beautiful picture of what Christ did. Uh, you don't have to flip there, but I'll read it for you. This is Philippians 2, 6-11. through 11. And this is what Christ did. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality, equality with God a thing to be cra- grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has 
highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He didn't count equality with God something to be grasped and he became a servant. He became a human so that he could understand and have solidarity and sympathy with us. He experienced temptation through Satan, through the Pharisees, through the disciples. He experienced grief and the pain of losing friends and loved ones and the future destruction of Israel. He experienced pain and suffering. On his road to the cross, he endured immense amounts of pain and suffering. See, Jesus was able to fully experience what we experience because he was also human. He was sent and chosen by God to come into the world as a man and to experience what we experience so that he could have solidarity and sympathy with us in our issues. In verse 7, we see an image of Christ weeping and crying out as he prepares to face death for us. We have the picture as he's in the garden praying before his death and he's sitting before God and he's saying, God, is there any other way? Is there any other way that we can do this? Jesus felt fear in those moments. As he was near to death, he felt fear. But he was willing. He was willing to die because he knew that he was going to be the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have eternal life through him. That he was willing to offer himself up as supplication for us. See, as far as the flesh was concerned, his death was not voluntary. See, as Christ prayed out to God, he, he prayed and asked, is there any other way? Can this cup be taken from me? But Christ was not here to bring glory and honor to himself. And he says, not, not what I will, but what you will. In the midst of a fleshly desire to, to not suffer and deal with the hardships of that, Jesus throws all of that out the window because he wants to serve the will of God. He was chosen as the greatest high priest ever because he wanted to bring glory and honor to the Father in heaven. Christ prayed out to God, but in that hard moment, he didn't ask for deliverance, but that God's will be fulfilled. Christ asking for the cup to be taken away showed his true solidarity and sympathy of being a man. He understands what we have to go through, the temptations that we have to deal with, he was able to experience those things and he could understand them. And yet he still goes to the cross. He still goes through the agony and the pain for us. He understands the agony and fear of ultimate death and what it brings. And Jesus faced all of that simply to save us. And the reality is he didn't deserve it. The only perfect person to ever walk the face of the earth 
And he was willing to be beaten and mocked and hung on a cross for us. As Christ prayed to be released from death, he wasn't struggling against God's will. And he wasn't trying to get out of the task at hand. He was trying to understand the human nature and express his desires. See, in the same way, when we learn to express our desires to God, but we walk a different path that might not follow those desires because God calls us to something different. Christ expressed his desires, and then in obedience, he followed the path that the Father had laid out for him. And by doing so, we can see in verse 9, that he became the source of eternal salvation for all. See, the high priest had to go before the congregation of Israel and go before God and enter into the Holy of Holies to sit and meet with God. And he constantly, time and time again, had to offer sacrifices. And all along, God had the plan to send the Messiah, to send the ultimate high priest into the world that he could take all of those sacrifices, and they would no longer be needed. And the reason why is because in the midst of this moment, Christ was being made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The reality is that Christ was following the will of God, and all along God had this plan for the ultimate high priest. He set out qualifications for the earthly high priest and what they were going to do and how they were going to live and what was expected of them, even though they didn't follow them the majority of the time. The qualifications were laid out for them. And all along, God's ultimate plan was always to send Jesus as the high priest. He had no line. There was no beginning or no end of what Jesus was going to do. He was always going to come and save us because God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life comes from the ultimate high priest sacrifice. It wasn't a goat. It wasn't a bull. It was his life. We were human and we required a human sacrifice, but it had to be perfect. And so God called in the perfect high priest. And he laid his life down as the ultimate price-paying gift. And all we have to do is believe and obey. Can you imagine a greater high priest? I think it's easy to understand how much greater Christ is than every high priest that ever walked the earth when you just read their stories. But he's not just a high priest, he's a ruler. And yet he humbled himself to not only connect with us, but to give his life for us. He faced battles and struggles, weeping in the garden, 40 days out in the desert, temptations, pain, suffering. He experienced all those things so that he could give his life for us. He begged for the plan to change so that he would not have to face unimaginable horrors. And in that same instant, he willingly and completely followed God's plan through those horrors so that you and I might not have to face them. Are there areas of your life that you aren't completely surrendered to this high priest? 
areas of shame or sin that you keep returning to, dwelling in, places you feel God could never understand, or things you don't think he will forgive. And this is one of the ones that I often hear from students, is that God cannot forgive this that I did. And that's one of the experiences about being a little older, is that if you forgive the stupid things I did, he can surely forgive the stupid things you're doing. And there's this fear of coming to the high priest because he is so perfect. And the reality is the high priest came to us to experience what we experience. And the reality is every time that we reject Christ's offer, we are choosing to go to a place of suffering that he already willingly faced for us. He has done it all. He was a man just like you and I. He struggled and despaired, but he willingly sacrificed it all for you. Let him be your high priest. I want to challenge you to think about what leads your life. What is the focus of your life? What drives your life? How do you make your choices? Because the reality is the high priest was supposed to be the intermediary between God's people and him. And if we are following the high priest, then we are connecting with God. And if we are following God, I promise you that there is nothing in the midst of that that you could choose to do wrongly. Yes, there might be suffering. Yes, there might be pain. But the reality is that God is in control. Even if you don't want to let him. Let him give you eternal salvation and redemption. Give your struggles over to God. A God who understands, who sympathizes, and stands in solidarity with you. A God who at the beginning of creation had a plan for our salvation. Through the ultimate high priest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that it draws such a clear picture of what Christ constantly did for us. What he dealt with, what he went through. That he was willing to offer up his perfect life for a world full of imperfect and broken people. That your love would extend so greatly that you would always have a plan for our salvation. And that plan came about in our high priest, Jesus. And so, Father, I thank you for all that you do through him for us. We thank you that he was willing to follow your will. And, Father, we ask that that example that is set before us, that we too could understand and follow your will as well. And Father, we can pray all these things to you because of Jesus' sacrifice. We pray all these things in his holy name. Amen.